This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Why should we slut shame? Because women are whores. No, that's not what I mean. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we actually really shouldn't. Uh, and the reason for that is that uh, even though male and female biology is very different, and put s simply, men seek diversity of sexual experience and women seek security through their sexual experience, it is true that at different stages of life, women will have different routes of pursuing their sexuality. And there will be, in most cases, a period of time for a year, two, three, four years in a woman's life where she does want to explore her sexuality. And that will probably mean sleeping with more than one man. Now, this isn't true 100% of the time. I understand that. But it is not uncommon for a woman to have multiple sexual partners, either her teenage years, college years, right before she gets married, perhaps after she has a divorce and she wants to, quote unquote, sleep around. I don't think that that turns her into a slut in the sense, the classical sense of a woman who is just generally promiscuous by nature, it's in her character, and she is incapable and, and unwilling to settle down with a man and be faithful and loyal uh, to him. I think that that is a very, very uncommon and, and biologically unlikely woman. There are women like that, but they are in the minority. So whenever I speak about sexuality and men and women, I'm always speaking about the 95% bell curve. You know, there's always a 5% on either end that are extremes. And there's no point in, in talking about that except just for you know, pure interest because it's entertaining as far as applying it to the population at large because it just doesn't apply. There is an underlying universal, I say near universal, drive and quality for sex that is unique to men and to women. And this is true, by the way, regardless of sexual orientation. Gay men are exactly the same as straight men in terms of their desire to have a variety of sex and being highly visually turned on sexually. So whether you like you're a man and you like men or a man and you like women, that doesn't change. With women, it's, it's also the same. It doesn't matter if they're heterosexual or lesbian. And this is, this is why it's so difficult for lesbian relationships to maintain monogamously a high degree over time of sexual energy. Lesbian bed death is common. And that means two women fall in love, but because both women want security, both women want uh, sensuality, they don't necessarily want to dominate the other sexually and they're not looking for variety. They tend to fall into a habit of roommateism. Yeah. And then they just sort of sleep together and literally sleep together without any sort of sexual exploration and the sex goes away. Gay men, they tend to maintain sexual energy but become promiscuous <laughs> because they want more variety. But they usually don't run into this homosexual or gay bed death. You don't even hear that expression. I've been engaging in some conversations recently on a meta level uh, regarding feminism and how it has pushed this idea of uh, female self-love, independence, I find it somewhat destructive. It is destructive because it implies, as, as all feminists do, and feminism does, that women are just like men and that women would be better off 
if they became men, and of course now with the whole trans movement, we don't even need men at all. Women should simply eviscerate the man and take over his role, which is absurd. But even at the earlier stages of this development, the women should emulate men or become more like them. That stage is, is equally destructive because it is contrary to nature. And I'm not even speaking from a moral, religious, political, or ethical point of view. You can argue about and against and for slut shaming from many different angles, social, biological, political, religious, ethical, moral. I'm speaking purely in the level of biology right now. It is not helpful to tell women that they should become more like men, i.e. more competitive, more sexually driven, especially in the sense of multiple partners, and rely on a diversity of sexual experiences with multiple men to find peace, harmony, stability, and a sense of comfort in their life. Because inevitably, with rare exceptions, this will always lead towards anxiety, depression, isolation, and a feeling of, at best, hopelessness, and at worst, a sense of absolute, utter self garbage, i.e. I, the woman, I am a filthy, useless, little whoring slut. And that is not a feeling or a thought that most women find to be empowering. The image of the middle-aged career success partnered lawyer attorney woman in a giant oversized multi-million dollar condo penthouse suite with her cat or dog eating a bowl of ice cream and crying into it alone because she has no children and no husband, that is, is not just a metaphor or a striking visual. That is actually happening all over urban America and I think urban West too, Western Europe, especially Northern Europe. It's everywhere in Northern Europe. Miserable, depressed, unhappy, isolated women who are not married, not even in an established relationship and have perhaps become pregnant and then aborted their children and eternally regret it, especially once they become over 40. And made disaster that is completely avoidable and it is a failure and an indictment of the destructive nature inherent in feminism. Robin Rinaldi, do you know that name? No. She authored a book called The Wild Oats Project, and in which she tells the story of how she was married for 18 years, got bored, and decided to sleep with a bunch of men over the course of the next year. And then guess what? Her marriage fell apart, and she ended up... Uh, going off with one of the guys that she slept with. And she's been on, if you go onto YouTube, you'll see there's a whole bunch of interviews with her. There's something wrong with that mindset, the fact that she got bored. There is, and it, it, it speaks to the different reasons why men cheat versus women cheat on their partners. Men cheat because they're either serial cheaters and they're hopeless, or because they are unable to transition or 
modulate their sexuality in a creative way within the relationship they have with their spouse, with their wife. And I say spouse because it's probably true with gay men as well. With women, in almost all cases, women cheat on their partners, their husbands, their lesbian lovers, because they feel a sense of abandonment and lack of care. In other words, there's a failure of emotional attachment in the relationship. There are some men who cheat as well because they feel underappreciated by their wife. That, that's a big problem on the male side that's caused by the women. I'm trying to point out the fact that the, sometimes it's the self and sometimes it's the partner that's at fault. But with women, it really is generally that, that their sexual promiscuity is a symptom, a consequence of a failure of emotional attachment and emotional intimacy within the relationship. That's not generally the reason why men cheat. So for this woman to feel bored, what, what she's probably not saying, but is the reality, is that she was emotionally detaching herself from her husband for a very long time. And rather than deal with that and either challenge the husband into rebuilding their emotional intimacy or just divorcing him and moving on, she decided to allow that emotional intimacy to reach the point of complete deprivation and disappearance and then go out and try to find that and regain that through a sexual escapade with different men. And I, I suspect that she's now reporting that, well, my relationship fell apart, my marriage fell apart because of the cheating, but I found this whole new path forward, like Eat, Pray, Love, where I went and explored my narcissistic desires sexually, and just like a man, I was able to regain my power. But I think that's very disingenuous. I don't even think it's true, because I don't know any women that become empowered by avoiding facing the failures of their relationship on an emotional level and then having sex with men. That's called acting out. That's called using a different tool or mechanism to distract yourself from the core problem and then calling yourself a winner. I don't know any women that then look back on that kind of behavior, acting out and saying, yeah, that was very empowering. I really feel better about myself for having done it. Do you think feminism has empowered women? Absolutely not. It's done just the opposite. Feminism has taken every inherent and unique power that women have and crushed it beneath the heel of the stiletto. I'm sorry, they don't wear stilettos. Uh, the, the boot, the army boot. <laughs> this reminds me of an old line from Yakov Smirnov, the Soviet comedian. He said when he came to the U.S. and he was on the playground, he would try to react to the bullies by calling them names and going after their mamas, you know, the yo mama jokes that are popular in the ghetto and the hood out in the U.S. And he said, you know, here in the U.S., uh, I could never use the old line that we hit in the Soviet Union. Your mama wears army boots. <laughs> because, you know, back at home, she probably did. <laughs> so, so, yeah, feminists, feminists wear army boots all the time because they want to be like men. Um, the, the problem with the empowerment issue with feminists is that they think that, that women derive their power by becoming masculine. They do not. The power that women have is their uniqueness and their being apart from men. Their power in seduction, their power in receiving and caring for the weak and the sick and the, the, the children, the infants, mothering, 
uh, close emotional attachment to infants, their ability to express beauty and generate interest and attention and desire by men. That is a uniquely feminine quality that, that men can never really achieve. The trannies and the transgenders like Dilvin Mulvaney, they do this in a, in a caricatured kind of way. They go to the extreme of what they consider to be the feminine, which is ironically never criticized by the feminists. I always find that odd. <laughs> a real woman who acts like a, a woman is, is considered a sellout, but a, a man that acts like a caricature of a woman is considered to be the epitome of women and female empowerment. I, go figure. Uh, so these women that are instructed to become more like men, they are not empowered. They're actually giving up their feminine power to take on the role of a man that they will never ever be able to competently achieve because a woman cannot be a man and cannot be a successful masculine presence. So it's all based on a lie. Feminism and empowerment through feminism is all based on a lie and it's based on a perversion and a twisting of a truly beautiful and lovely American inherent humanitarianism that believes and expresses through its laws and its culture that all human beings should be equal under the law and have equal opportunity for success. And that means men and women. And that is a beautiful and lovely thing. That is real empowerment, legal and political empowerment. But the idea of becoming a man, taking on masculine roles, which has nothing to do with voting, nothing to do with work in terms of employment anyway, and everything to do with the inherent masculinity of, of the male being created from God, that idea has absolutely no place in a harmonious society. Uh, uh, conversely, though, you also get men who try to be as feminine as possible. And that is also an utter failure. I think that the reason why that's happening now is that masculinity has been so utterly savaged and attacked and derided as being inherently toxic that men believe that the only way to be good and to be revered and to be socially accepted is now to become effeminate and to adopt the most caricaturistically feminine qualities that are now so universally admired. Being pretty, being agreeable, being conflict avoidant, and in, in some ways even being very emotionally catty and acting out by stabbing people in the back rather than punching them in the face. These are the good and the bad aspects of femininity. And men are now emulating them and they are becoming like women, but without retaining the critical elements of masculinity, which include physical strength, courage, honor, and mastery of a skill, according mm -hmm. to Jack Donovan's The Way of Men, which is an excellent book on masculinity. They are abandoning those four character, uh, character traits, the foundations of masculinity, and they are adopting their antithesis in the female. And they're failing miserably. And not only that, are they failing themselves, they're also failing women. Because every woman, no matter whether she is a evangelical Christian, baking homemaker, baby popper, or a ultra New York liberal feminist in the high tower, they all inherently want and respond to the same thing, which is a real man. Whether they say it or not, they respond to it. 
That's what women need. And so men who are becoming feminine are failing themselves and they're failing women. The idea that we hold women up to different standards uh, to men, particularly when it comes to, say, uh, the way they dress and how provocative they are. And the comments are, oh, don't you dare comment. They can dress however they want. I love that argument because it's it's so disingenuous. This this is a this is encapsulated by the immature and utterly ridiculous, but but quite common line of criticism that you get from mostly young women today about men who stare at sexually provocatively dressed women, and and the criticism is essentially this. You just shouldn't look. <laughs> now, there's two things inherently stupid, and I mean that really, literally stupid about that comment. One is, it's biologically inherent for men to look at sexually desirable women. And I'm not saying that that's a good or a bad thing morally. I'm saying it's inherent biologically. It will always be inherent. And it doesn't matter what you try or don't try to do. It's simply there. It's there. Just live with it and deal with it. And I actually would say that it's probably desirable and necessary because that's what activates the drive for women, for men to get together with women. And it also is incredibly appealing to women to be desired. And I know this because women who no longer get looked at feel unworthy, unvaluable, and miserable and depressed. It's so that's the first call. point. It's it is exactly call. a mating call, just like regular mm. animals. If you stop the mating call, then there's no more call. Everybody's just lying around waiting for things to happen, <laughs> right? The phone's dead. And the second, the second problem with it, which is I think the more inherently disingenuous part that I that I, I I really think should be mocked and exposed, is that women want to be seen and desired, and that's why they're dressing that way. So don't walk around. Uh, topless on the street with your perfect breast bouncing up and down, holding a flag, and then critically attacking all of the men who stare at your tits instead of the flag that you're holding. And then say, you know, my body is a sanctuary and I'm proud of it, and it doesn't have to be sexualized. My breasts are used for providing milk to my infants. Well, you know what 99.9% .9 of the time your breasts are used for? They're used for your boyfriend to suck your tits. They're not used to give the baby milk. So just live with that fact. They're there because it turns men on and it makes men want to suck them and bless them and touch them. And, and you love it and you know you love it. That's why breast reconstruction surgery and, and breast enlargement is a billion dollar industry because tits draw attention. And for the two or three hours a week over one year or two or three of your life that you're going to be using your breasts to give milk and provide nutrition to your baby does not override that fact. So I wish that women would just be essentially honest and just admit that their bodies draw attention, they like them to draw attention, and they want the attention. And then from that fact, make a decision how much attention you want. And if you don't want men to stare at you, then dress more modestly. And if you want them to look at you, 
then dress like a little slut or somewhere in between and then own it. I have, I have had it with women complaining that men look at them and desire them sexually when they dress exactly for that explicit purpose. And don't go, don't even start about the she asked for it rape issue. I'm not talking about violent sexual assault and men breaking laws. I'm talking about men staring or looking at women who dress provocatively. They're doing that because the women asked for it through the way that they dressed and they need to own it. You're not a little girl, you're a woman. Figure it out. Yeah, and one of the things that they seem to overlook is that this has been part of humanity for as long as recorded history. Cleopatra used her her looks to to captivate Julius Caesar as well as Mark Antony. I mean, this is well known. Uh, if you look at art throughout the ages, women have always been an object of desire. Oh, absolutely. This is why I love to challenge people who say, stop objectifying me. He's objectifying me. The objectification of women. God forbid we should ever stop objectifying women. This is critical. This is necessary for women's happiness. Yes, objectifying women is what makes them happy. Women who are no longer objectified are the women who are no longer desired. And the women who are no longer desired are unhappy women. A man should be objectifying his girlfriend and his wife as frequently as possible. Now, not to the exclusion of, of everything, but he should be objectifying her as frequently as possible because that is going to remind her of her value to him. As soon as that is over, as soon as he stops looking at her as a sexually desirable object, she will lose something that is inherently necessary for her sense of self-esteem and happiness as a partner in that relationship and as a woman in society. There is no denying that. It is a fact. Whether you like it or not, it is true. And I, I, I would really like for women who inherently, viscerally react against that idea to sit with yourself and ask yourself honestly if anything I said is incorrect, even if it bothers you. Mm -hmm. Now, women are not quite the same as men in that regard. And that's why when you have two men, you end up with a singularity. <laughs> <laughs> men love to sit around and mock one another. Do you ever see healthy women do that? I've never seen it. No. When I listen to radio announcers who are men, they'll mock their producer, they'll mock their, their male guests, and that, that, is, that is not considered to be cruel or mean. It's considered to be a sign of respect and comfort with one another to the extent that you can point out funny things that would be maybe a little bit embarrassing, slightly revealing, but that express the bond between the two men and the bond that they, that they have that they share together. When women do that, it comes across as being catty, bitchy, mean, nasty, and, and completely unsupportable. So when women sit and talk, they, they generally, generally tend to build one another up. I just love the dress, that's so lovely. It, it's, I, have you lost weight? You look so much better, Cindy, than you did last week. Men meet each other like, oh my God, you look like a freaking whale today. You got Jared, fat. How much liquor have you had? You got fat. Yep, that's right. Check out that belly. Don't you just love it? Oh my God, look at this you're still guy. driving. You're still driving that piece of crap. <laughs> yeah, you're still driving that piece of crap. 
Well, you know, <laughs> if a woman says that, the woman will say, you fucking bitch. And then she'll take out her hairpin and she'll stab her to death in the jugular artery until she bleeds out and spit in her face. This is the difference between men and women. And that this is this is completely distinct. And, and you 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 cannot you cannot pretend that that, that that men and women talk to themselves separately with the same sex group in the same way. They just don't. Oh, but Mark, you're just perpetuating gender stereotypes. <laughs> Absolutely. The stereotypes are all real. <laughs> I love stereotypes. I love discrimination. I love judgment. This is how society thrives. It's by using your observational experience to detect patterns and to then make decisions and act on those patterns for your own best interests and for the safety and well-being of others. If we throw all of that out, we are like memento. We are like uh, 16 first dates. We are, we are like all those movies where every morning we wake up, we have to relearn how the world works. If that's what we have to do every day, start off on a clean slate with no knowledge, wisdom, ability to judge, criticize, or discriminate, we are done. We won't even last through the next generation. So I say more discrimination, more judgment, more objectification of women and more hyper-masculinity and more stereotyping. We need more of this, not less. It just has to be based upon reality and truth. As long mm. as it comes from a place that is true and honest, it is actually helpful. Where it's not helpful is where it is invented. It's not helpful when it is, is based in fantasy and is used purely as a way to divide and conquer and destroy and manipulate. In other words, discrimination, stereotyping, judgments that are based on propaganda are inherently corrosive. Those that are based on reality, truth, and wisdom are not only useful, they are necessary for our survival. There was a study done um, at the University of Denver. Let me just find it here. Uh, yeah, the University of Denver and the National Is that a Marriage. <laughs> the National Marriage. <laughs> Let me try that again. At the University of Denver and the National Marriage Project, which is apparently at the University of Virginia, says yeah that that the the key finding was that women with fewer premarital sexual partners reported much greater marital satisfaction. In other words. They, they, they concluded that women should not emulate men sexually, which is something that you were saying earlier. I think that's absolutely correct. Anytime a study finds something that is worth finding, it generally confirms common sense and what we already knew. And in the rare cases where it doesn't, it's usually a bogus study. <laughs> so... I, I suspect that what this study has confirmed is everything that I just said earlier, which is that women not only do that not desire, but they do not benefit in almost all cases from a diversity of sexual experience, meaning multiple men. Now, they absolutely benefit and enjoy a diversity of sexual experience with the same man, and that keeps the sex interesting. 
But multiple sectional partners, in other words, variety of men, is not something that benefits women. They do not turn out happier and more fulfilled when they sleep with multiple men, by and large, per certainly not over the a long course of their life. Is that possibly related to the fact that there is an absence of commitment? I think it's related to the absence of commitment. Specifically, it's related to the concurrence of depth of emotional connection that comes with the commitment. So commitment is sort of a surrogate marker, a, a word that describes a, a state of relationship, an agreement basically, or perhaps an orientation towards someone that comprises an even more important foundational quality, which is in most cases, a depth of emotional commitment and intimacy. Now, I, I understand that you can have a commitment in a relationship and have you know, complete emotional deprivation. You could be committed to monogamy and financial support. And there's a lot of things that come into commitment that are not related to, to uh, emotional depth and, and intimacy. But in most cases, if it's a, a sexual commitment, uh, I'm only sleeping with you and I'm not sleeping with multiple women. In most cases, that leads towards a greater depth of emotional relatedness. I know certainly that women, after sleeping with a man two or three times, they biologically become emotionally connected to that man, even if they don't feel a sense of, of conscious commitment to him because of their biological wiring. Men don't necessarily feel that way. Men can sleep with four or five women intermixingly five, six, seven times over weeks or months and have absolutely no emotional connection with any of them, potentially. Women cannot do that biologically, even if they want to, they simply can't. So the woman will, after she sleeps a few times with one man, she will start to develop very quickly an emotional rootedness with him. He may not, and he may be sleeping with different men. And then if she sleeps with another man, she's gonna feel a sense of severance emotionally with that first man without actually becoming bonded with the next one, which becomes very confusing to her. In other words, there's a discordance when women sleep with multiple men over a short period of time. There's a discordance with the degree of emotional, biologically speaking, commitment that comes from her experience with him and the emotional connection that he's developing with her. And whenever there's a discordance, you start to develop relationship conflict. And I think that's inherently why the idea of commitment becomes so important over the course of a woman's life. It's not the word commitment that matters. It's what emotionally stems from it. Why then are men who sleep around seen as champions, and while at the same time, women who do the same thing are seen as sluts? Well, I think on a simple level, it's because men who are able to attract women, especially women who are fertile and can bear children, have been historically more successful in producing progeny and having more children. So men who sleep around are seen as enviable because they have a greater capacity to perpetuate their genes and to have more, uh, more, more of a lineage. And, and that is advantageous 
in most societies. I mean, today it may not be so much in, in our contemporary society, but it certainly has been up until the last few generations for millennia. Whereas the opposite is true with women. Women who sleep around are more likely to have been inseminated by multiple men and to have children with different men who are very unlikely to take care of them and to offer them long-term security because they're not clear on which children belong to which men. So there's a, there's a value that a woman has intrinsically in society when she is devoted to one man because of her capacity to bear his children and to be taken care of and then to help support his goal of expressing uh, a greater lineages, lineage. So there's a, there's a bit of a conflict really inherent between what men want and what women want. And that's not a bad thing because they both want something that is in conflict with the other, but for different reasons and, and for, for somewhat good reasons. And, and I think for that reason, uh, men and women need to successfully find ways to complement one another and to help subdue some of their inherent excesses in their sexuality. Uh, I don't think that it's societally advantageous today, certainly, for men to be sleeping around and having a lot of children out of wedlock. And it's not helpful and advantageous for women either. It's actually in, in both of their interests for them to figure out early on uh, that they are going to be connected with one another and only one another sexually so that they can reproduce and reinforce one another's success, both in terms of family and finance, and then build a strong household. And I'm not saying this with any sense of like moral authority. I'm just talking about it purely from a practical point of view. Now, we've sidestepped that whole process through birth control and abortion. And I think that has really thrown us into a loop and taken away a lot of the biological incentives for doing the right thing. And I don't mean the right thing morally, I mean the right thing for our society and our families. Because if you don't have to deal with the consequences, either the man or the woman, of having lots of sexual partners, because you can simply get rid of the fetus or through infanticide, whatever you want to do along the way, now you're actually building a society that is reinforcing habits which over time are not going to help the individual man or woman and certainly not going to uh, help reinforce a healthy society. And that's a big problem that we have right now on a practical level, not just a moral or religious one, with contraception and abortion. So what you're saying is that women should get married early and have kids early because feminism opposes that. It wants women to stay single for longer and in many cases not even have kids. That's exactly right. And this is not just, again, my speaking from a moral or ethical point, it's from a practical one. And it's not just practical, it's also proven. All research that we have, all, all respectable research that's highly powered, that has good statistical uh, viability, and healthier, meaning they live longer with fewer diseases than women who do the opposite, which is what the feminists are advocating. No marriage, no children, work, 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 make a lot of money, maintain your biological, reproductive, and financial independence. Those women don't live as long, they don't live as well, 
they don't succeed as well financially and they are almost universally miserable at some point in their lives and then at that point they become miserable forever so this is whether you like it or not and whether it makes you happy or whether it uh, is something that you grate against it is simply true so if you desire to be financially successful happy and healthy you would be wise to get married early obviously to the right person because you marry the wrong person all bets are off marry the right person marry the far right person <laughs> that's right well <laughs> actually you're correct in that as well because as i wrote in my first book united states of fear the Pewrich group which is one of the most well-respected research polling organizations in the u.s has found repeatedly that conservative women are happier than leftist women purely on a objective measurement of how they report their degree of contentment in life not even a judgment not even if they did the right thing the wrong thing they are happier so being conservative makes you a happy person whether you're a man or a woman so you want to be happy even if you don't agree or believe in conservative values, fake it till you make it. You don't believe in God, you go to church, you become happier and more contented, even if you're an atheist. I know it sounds crazy, but behavior matters. So following practices that lead to happiness, whether or not you agree with them, is actually a pretty mature path to take in life. Mark, do you think that if a woman has had many sexual partners before she gets married, do you think that that is more likely to damage her marriage? And by extension, if the man has had many, uh, if he stepped with many women before he got married, why does it appear that he isn't affected as much? I think that women who have had multiple sexual partners before their marriage, and this of course is a, it's a wide variability here. It depends on, you know, is it four partners? Is it 400? I don't believe that in most cases, having had a few sexual partners before marriage is going to become an obstacle to a successful relationship. However, there are exceptions to that. I do believe that if women have had a large number of sexual partners, you know, 40, 50, 80, 100 partners, in most cases, that is going to be a huge obstacle to the success of their relationship. One of them simply being that the husband is presumably because they're being honest with one another, unless she's hiding her past, is going to know about it. And that's, in most cases, going to create a lot of doubt and worry about the desirability of the man that she chose to marry sexually if she's already been with so many men. There aren't a lot of men who have the self-confidence and the sort of level of equanimity and forgiveness to put that aside emotionally and just move forward. That's already a, just a practical issue. Biologically, I think it's a problem as well, because for a woman who has had that many different sexual partners, she's already gone against her biology. And I think that that damages a woman and makes her see herself in most cases as less valuable as being used. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that, that that's, that's the way that women operate. That's the way that they work in most cases. So you're already setting yourself up for uh, a potential failure on those two counts.
And then the reason in the same way why it's not so much of an issue for men, it kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Both personally and societally, men who have had a lot of sexual partners are not seen as used and they're not seen as failures and they're not seen as uh, morally corrupt. And that I think is just due to the historical biology of men being more successful, uh, both in terms of their progeny and their ability to uh, to garner strength and power in the community and in the society when they've had a lot of children. So whether or not that applies today or not, it doesn't matter because emotionally and socially speaking, it's it's still at play. So I don't think that men who go into the relationships with a lot of sexual partners are at a disadvantage emotionally. In fact, they may be at an advantage. Additionally, men who have a lot of sexual partners and sexual experiences are more likely to be able presuming that they chose the right wife, they're more likely to be able to say, you know what, I had a lot of sexual experiences, something I craved, something I needed. I got that out of my system. I had a good time, but because of those experiences and thanks to those experiences, I was able to distill the qualities in a woman that really mattered to me. And I found them, presumably, in the woman I chose to marry. Now I'm not distracted by the what ifs and the fear of missing out. Women don't have that. Women don't have a fear of missing out in general sexually. They have a fear of being left out, left out in the cold and winding up middle-aged and childless. That's a totally different fear and drive than men have. And that's why the reaction in terms of success in the relationship is very, very different for men and women who have had large sexual experiences. It just pisses people off because it seems that I am telling women that they should stop behaving like sluts because it makes them miserable and unhappy and that men are given a free pass because it doesn't make them miserable and unhappy to sleep around, at least before they decide to get married or join and begin a committed relationship. Whether or not that appears to be fair, it's the truth. And a lot of people don't want to hear the truth because they think that anything that is unfair in life needs to be corrected. And it needs to be corrected at someone else's expense. My neighbor is more wealthy than I am. That's unfair. So. I think that we should repossess his home, sell it on the market, and then redistribute it to everybody in the community. That's fair. Well, it may be fair in the sense of equitable numerically, but is it actually going to produce greater happiness for the people in the community? Certainly not for the man whose house was stolen. And what's the reason for him to be more successful? It might be that he actually worked harder. There are differences in capacities that lead to differences in outcomes, and that's just inherent in life. That's why life is not fair. There's also luck. And in this case, in this specific domain, it is true that men benefit, in, in largely speaking, from having a greater diversity of sexual experience, and women do not. But is that necessarily a problem? It's only a problem if you believe that the feminists are right, and that women should emulate men. And to the extent that they do that and are allowed and encouraged to do that, they will be better off. But what if that's all bullshit? What if that's a lie? What if that's not true at all? What if women are better off 
And I mean better off subjectively. Like they actually say, I'm happier. I feel better. I am a better woman. Not because he told me I'm a better woman. I am. I feel it myself by becoming more feminine and following more of the feminine traits of monogamy, of focused sexual partnership with one man, less promiscuity. What if that actually makes women happier, even if it flies in the face of the feminist narrative? Shouldn't we, at the end, not be pursuing equity or equality or fairness, but be pursuing truth? Because if we pursue truth, I believe that maybe not in the short run, but in the long run, we will actually be better off, all of us. Is that what we should be teaching our kids? Absolutely. We should be teaching children lessons that will allow them and enable them to become good people. And good people are happy people. Bad people are miserable people. Anything that you can teach your child that will allow your child to grow up and becoming a good adult is more likely to lead to that child's success emotionally, physically, and financially than the opposite. And that does not mean <laughs> That does not mean that you can't teach your children to have fun and to be spontaneous and to pursue their passions, but you have to give them guardrails and you have to tell them that in some cases, pursuing your passions and pursuing your, your spontaneous wishes and desires can result in immediate or long-term injury and perhaps even tragedy. And being able to distinguish what is a good use and good pursuit of your passions from one which is destructive? That is the role of the parent, and that is the role of the modeling and the, and the wisdom that you need to pass on to your children. It doesn't matter whether or not you emulated that in the past and whether you pursued it. What matters is whether you teach it to your children or not, and hopefully practice it from that point forward in your life. The past is the past. You can certainly admit, you know what, I didn't do this, and here's the, the price that I paid but I want you to do something different. And this is what I'm doing now with your mother in order to be a better and a happier person. And I've learned from my mistakes. I hope you don't have to make the same ones. How is it, Mark, that in the year 2023, with so much liberation and freedom, why is it then, does it appear that women and men are so depressed? Viktor Frankl said it best in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. It is an absence of meaning, and that's all it is. We have deprived ourselves of a personal sense of meaning and purpose in our lives, and largely that's come from a sustained period of decadence in Western civilization, which has coincided with a movement towards hyper-secularization, the disappearance of religion. Whether you like it or not, the one thing that religion provides that is critical for success as a person, success as a, as a human species and a race, is a sense of meaning. Many people cannot create and build a sense of meaning in their lives absent religion. Some people can, but many people cannot. Religion provides meaning where there may appear to be none in non-religious life through war, through loss through perhaps even a successful but sterile life. I made millions of dollars, but I still feel like I want to jump off the top of my you know, 29th story condo tower. 
Why? Because there's no meaning. If we were to get back to that alone, to, to re, redefine what meaning is and find it for ourselves as individuals and also for our societies, and that would probably involve going back towards religion, certainly, certainly going back towards a, a reverence and respect for biological truth and what we've learned culturally through history of what allows societies as a whole to succeed and what causes them to, to fail. If we were to do that on a social and an individual level, I am certain that the degree to which people are reporting depression and anxiety and, and just overall misery would decline substantially. You don't have to be rich to be happy. You don't even have to have a family to be happy, although it helps. You don't have to even be healthy to be happy, although it helps. You have to have meaning in your life. If you have that, you can overcome anything. So we have to start with that. I guarantee you that when you talk to 10, 20 people who say they're depressed, 90% of them would admit that they feel a weak or absent sense of meaning and purpose in their lives. Very few depressed people will tell you that their meaning and purpose is strong, but they are still depressed. That does happen. I have seen people who have clinical organic depression. That is a disorder that is absent. Anything they do, you just have to treat it like a disease. But th those are by far the minority. As you said, the growth of the depression is not because of the growth of organic clinical depression. It is completely concordant and congruent with the disappearance of meaning in Western civilization. But Mark, how is that spilling over into kids? Well, the problem with children is that kids have meaning and purpose, which is created through traditional structures of play, of schooling, of close bonds with their parents, the mother and the father, attachment and interaction with a physical environment, which requires them to be outdoors and to be with nature and obviously with other children. All of that has been taken away. We're living now in an age of, of primarily single parent households. So there's not a mother or a father together to offer both the masculine and the feminine energy, as well as the parental role modeling. That's a disaster. We've also deprived children of the ability to play outdoors for the last two or three years. It's been taken away. And now it's been, even though they're not prohibited from doing it, they basically now become dependent on phones and screens and electronic devices for both their play and their social interaction. Horrible, horrible disaster. And children in general are no longer engaged with a world that allows them to take risks and succeed and fail, which is, which is what determines and develops a child's sense of identity. If you take all that away, now you're just left with a kind of empty, emotionally vapid existence and experience that is based entirely on hedonism, on getting points on your game, on getting more food from the fridge, on feeling physically comfortable, on getting uh, your papers and your grades covered by paying a tutor to do them for you. In other words, you're not learning how to win 
in your environment. And for men, obviously, and, and women, it's different. Boys and girls win in different ways. But if you take all of that out, if you eliminate that as a possibility, now you have a child growing up who has no identity. And guess what happens when you reach adulthood with no identity? You don't have any way to define or create meaning or purpose in your life. And now you've developed an adult who, as I just, just earlier described, is likely to, to become chronically depressed and anxious mm. and, and miserable. That's why it's happening to children. I get pushback when I, when I say the following, but I'm not encouraging it, but I don't think we should stop boys from beating each other up in the schoolyard. I remember you mentioned that on a previous interview, and I said I, I wholeheartedly support that. <laughs> the, the, the modest downside of a few bloody noses from boys punching each other in the face is a small price to pay, and certainly a, a reparable one, compared to the benefits of instilling a sense of gladiatorial combat and the necessity of it to resolve conflicts quickly and effectively within the, the boys to men community. Because the alternative to that is to take the feminine approach. And the feminine approach is to seethe and stifle and swallow all of your resentment and anger and, and, and quest for violence, and then act it out passive aggressively like a little bitch, which then leads to no ability, none whatsoever, for the boy soon to become a man to go out into the environment and to fight against the natural forces and threats that all adult men must face day in and day out in their lives, whether they live out in the woods or they're in a corporate environment. Obviously, you need to teach boys how to contain the desire for violence in a way that it does not lead to mayhem. But the, the inherent violence that men have in the way to resolve conflicts is not in and of itself a problem. It is a, a very necessary and effective tool. And if we remove it from the toolbox, all that we're left, all that we're left with is a pussified man with a pair of panties to swing around, and that's not going to bode Ken. well for our country. Ken. <laughs> a Ken doll with no balls. That's what we're gonna. That's what we're gonna get. We're, we're, we're gonna get. We're just gonna get a little boy toy that is gonna be used by by mean girls as an object of abuse. And and now our society is doomed. All women say the same thing. I don't want you to get into a fight, but deep down inside. They, they want to be fought for. That's right. Well, women don't want men to get into fights because it could hurt them and then they couldn't care for the woman anymore. It could cause them to be arrested and then they couldn't care for the woman anymore. It could uh, lead to financial lawsuits and then they could be impoverished. There's real good reasons, practically, why women don't want men to be fighting all the time. It doesn't, it doesn't help keep them safe in most cases. Now, obviously, if she's being attacked and he attacks the other man, then she wants him to do that. But just going into a bar and, you know, getting rowdy and starting to fight, she's at best going to roll her eyes like, really? Do you really have to do that? And at worst, she's going to, you know, kick him out for, you know, a few weeks. 
So I understand it. I get it. But as you said, even if the physical violence is a problem, the idea that men will act on their desire to win, to compete, to, to become physical in order to preserve something that matters to them. In other words, acting with honor, honoring their values and their virtues, which in, in includes in many cases physical violence, is something that is really, really hot for women. It, it, it just, it makes them wet around the ankles. They are just, they are so in biological need of a man who is willing to take a risk in order to protect something that matters to him. Because presumably she matters to him. And if the man isn't willing or able to do that, she's always going to be thinking, what's going to happen when the threat comes? Is he going to fight for me or is he going to run for the hills? This is what the deputy sheriff said to me out in Canada three years ago when all the masks came on and the guys in the camo and the rifles and the, and the pickup trucks were driving around with masks on their faces. Now, this is a woman with a gun professionally. You know, she can protect herself. She would leave her house every day and she'd see the guy drive past in the truck with the camo and the rifle rack, got a big mouth, a mask over his mouth, big diaper on. And she said, my vagina would get dry instantly. <laughs> Why? Because she said to herself, if this guy's such a pussy that he's got to wear a mask to fight a damn virus, what's going to happen when the bear comes out of the woods? Is he going to protect me or is he going <laughs> to run with his panties down his legs out for the hills? And she's like, I don't want a man that's going to run for the hills when I'm attacked. I want a man that's going to fight for me. That's why it matters to women. The funny thing also, Mark, is that at some point, every feminist becomes a damsel with pigtails in distress. <laughs> that is so true. They will all tell you this eventually, whether they're 20, 40 or 50. Every single one turns at some point and admits publicly or privately, you know what? What I really want and what I've always really wanted is a man who's going to pick me up, put me over his shoulder and carry me to his dungeon and ravish me. That's what I want. And that's what gets me wet. The idea that women should seek to become men is a failed concept and that adopting and pursuing traditional social and biological tenets of femininity is not in any way turning against the empowerment of women but it's actually just the opposite it is the it is an expression and a reverence for the unique power that women have that men can never have ever and that the more that we can reinforce that reverence the more power women will accrue and the happier they will be and the same thing uh when it comes to men and i think that is a a critical message that needs to be proclaimed unapologetically everywhere in the world today because we in the west have lost it. Mm. And I think also very importantly, we were talking about women who, who sleep around and all that sort of thing and are very slutty. We must also allow for redemption. 
Yes. In fact, this is what religion has offered and what we no longer allow. The left uh, does not allow for forgiveness, at least not outside of their own circles. They don't believe in even apologizing for their own behavior, but they will never forgive others. And this is one thing that conservatives and religious people have going for them, which is no matter how many mistakes you have made, there is always a possibility and a pathway for redemption. It requires you to, to admit to what you did, to acknowledge that it hurt you and hurt others, and to make amends. And if you follow those three steps, you can always put your past behind you and move forward. There is always a second chance. The best way to find me is to simply go to anything Dissident MD, and that includes my website, dissidentmd.com, my now uh, stellar taking off Instagram account, also called Dissident MD. I also have a Twitter account, which is mmcdonaldmd, and I am on Facebook as Mark McDonald. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.